The reading is found in 2 Samuel chapter 22, and it's page 328. Second Samuel chapter 22, David's Song of Praise. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my saviour. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of the grave coiled around me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice, my cry, came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies, bolts of lightning and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I've kept the ways of the Lord. I've not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I've been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You're my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? 
And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn over. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them to the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You've delivered me from the attacks of my people. You've preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me, and foreigners come cringing to me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my saviour. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Amen. Well, let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel 22. That's page 328. 2 Samuel 22. As we look at this, uh, what's entitled in the NIV, David's Song of Praise. Page 328, 2 Samuel 22. Now, one of the things that is uh, unique about us as human beings is that we are what has been called uh, meaning makers. We are our people who attribute meaning to events. We want to know not just that something has happened, but we want to know why it has happened. Other creatures don't seem to do that. You don't come across your dog sitting pondering why the sunset looks different one day than the next. Well, maybe your dog does, but our dog's not that bright. And, but human beings, we, we seek to understand the why. We, we link matters together, why this happened, why that happened. It's one of those things that, that is characteristic of, of being human. It leads to all sorts of things. It leads to scientific inquiry, for example. People study the mechanisms of the world around them so that we can understand why the sunsets are different and how plants grow and all of those things. It leads to philosophical inquiry, too. Why is the world the way it is? All those great philosophical questions. Is there anything there? Why is there something rather than nothing? And all sorts of answers have been given to those sorts of questions. And of course, the answers that we come up to, in other words, the meaning that we approach life with, really, really matters. If, for example, we look at life and we conclude that this world is just the product of random chance, 
and that there is ultimately no meaning. And, and the meaning that we attribute to events is ultimately without foundation. Then we must conclude that we are just kidding ourselves, and it's a bleak and, and ultimately really dismal and devastating way to live. And, and it's part of what we see in terms of the angst and, and hopelessness of our culture at the moment, because we understand as a culture that we are attributing meaning to life without really any foundation for meaning at all. But if you contrast that with the outlook or what should be the outlook of the child of God, it is incredibly different. Child of God, able to say that we have been specially and purposely made by God. A God who is good, a God who is personal, a God who knew you long before you came to be. And, and if a person is able to say that, they're able to say that, that God has, has revealed this to me. He has told me about himself and about me. He has told me that he loves me. He has told me that he's involved in the events of my life, that the things that happen around me are not accidental. He has told me that he has plans for my future, and amazingly, they're good plans. That's an incredibly different way of looking at life. It's a way of looking at life that's full of meaning, and not just meaning that we have attributed to something, not meaning that we have dreamt up and put on our lives, but actually meaning that we have discovered or meaning that has been revealed to us. And that's really, really good news. Now, what we have in, in 2 Samuel 22 this evening is David saying, here is what I have discovered about my life. Here is the way that I have discovered life works. This is the, the grid through which I see things. And we find that his life is full of meaning and purpose because he knows God. And we want to take some time to see what it is David has discovered, because as he tells us these things, he's not just saying, actually, this is what is my experience, and, and you know, it's up to you to find your own meaning. It's not, not that at all. He's really saying, this is what God is like, and you can know him too. And of course, because this is Scripture, this is God revealing himself to us in his word. And so we can treat this as absolutely true. Let's just say a word, first of all, about where this comes in the story. This is towards the end of David's life. If you look at chapter 23, you'll see that there's a little section entitled The Last Words of David. Now, these last chapters are not really in chronological order. There's a couple of chapters after that, sort of postscripts. Um, but we are coming towards the end of David's life. David's death is actually recorded for us in First Kings in the first few chapters. And this chapter contains a, a song or a psalm, which is also recorded in Psalm 18. If you think you've read some of this before, you've maybe read it in Psalm 18. And there are one or two little differences here and there between the two, but they're, they're not very significant. Now, there are a couple of ways of, of thinking how this might have come about. It, it, you notice that in verse 1 and 2, it says that David wrote this after he was delivered from all his enemies. So, so it could have been written earlier in his life, and, and then David, or it, it's put here at the end of David's life because it's sort of David's theme song. It, it, it's, his, it's his 
the song, the psalm that really sums up his life better than anything else. As he's old and he looks back at his life, he, he digs through the, the older psalms that he has written and says, here is the one that really sums up how I see things. Or it may be that it is written later in his life and his enemies include Absalom and, and uh, other things that have happened to him in more recent days. And, and Saul is listed at the end just to indicate how great a threat he was. But, but in any case, what it is doing is it is functioning as that sort of grid through which David looks back at his life and says, here's what I've seen. Here's what I've proven. I don't have to make meaning for my life. This is the meaning of my life. God has revealed this to me. And because David's God is our God, what he sees about God is what we may know too. So let's think about it. Here, four simple things that, that, we, can, that we can see. Four, four points on the grid through which we can approach our lives. First of all, God is your rock. God is your rock. If you're a Christian here tonight, God is your rock. In verses two to four, as the psalm starts, David is full of praise for what God is to him. And the dominant image here is that he is his rock. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. He refers to God as his rock twice here. He comes back to it in verse 31 and verse 46. So if you want to trace the, the progress of the rock image through the psalm, it goes something like this. The Lord is my rock. My God is my rock. Who is the rock except our God? Praise be to my rock. You, this is sort of a theme that runs right through. And there are several ways in which this picture of a rock is used in the Bible to describe God. Three maybe dominant ones. It's a shelter. Sometimes you can imagine in a desert environment where the sun really, really beats down on you. And you come, you're making a journey and you come to a large rock. And you find that there is shade and shelter and safety welcome, relief, and protection. So God is sometimes described as a rock because he is our shelter, our shield. Then the rock was a refuge from one's enemies. The idea of standing high on a rock above your enemies or, or hiding in the rocks from your enemies. So sometimes David fl uh, fled from Saul and, and, and went to the rocky areas of the desert. And then there's the idea of a rock being a a sure foundation under your feet. So famously, uh, Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And you can see that as David looks back over his life and thinks, what is it? that, that how, how do I interpret my life? How, what meaning can I attribute to that? One of the big things that he says is God has been all of these things to me. He has been my rock. And you notice that he's able to do that then with the advantage of years in, in, in verse 31 or, or 32, is it? And who is the rock except our God? In other words, as, as he's older, he's able to look back and he's able to say, do you know what? There, there's nowhere else you can go to find shelter. There's nowhere else 
that you can find a stronghold. There's nowhere else where there's really a firm foundation. There's only one rock. Now, sometimes whenever we're younger, those of you who are younger, we see all the other options out there. Many, many ways of living life. Perhaps now more than ever, those are put in front of us. All these other foundations. And and some of them look really attractive. Maybe some of them look less restrictive. And at the beginning of our journey, when we're younger, we so, so often think that many of these look viable. Some of the people who are building their lives on very, very different foundations than you are tonight, their lives look as if they're going really, really well. But as time goes on, so often, those things are shown to be false foundations. Sometimes only eternity reveals that. We've got to say that. But so often, even in this life, false foundations are shown to be false foundations. They're not refuges at all. The Bible says, doesn't it, that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. In other words, if we're just relying on our own hunches to, to find a good foundation for life, we're going to get it wrong. And yet after years of following the Lord, believers who have walked his way and proven him like David has, they're able to say, do you know what? There's nowhere else you can go. Nowhere else you can go to find a, a, a shelter, a stronghold, a firm foundation. It's one of the reasons that, that you who are younger need to hear from you who are older. And one of the reasons that older folk need to get alongside some of our younger folk. To, to, to hear, so that our younger folk can hear, for, for those of you who have not only faith in the Christian uh, journey, but experience, that they can hear from you, do you know what? It's been tough. 30, 40, 50, 60 years I've been walking with the Lord but I know now there is no other rock. There's no other place to go. I was going to say, I was going to say we who are younger. Those who are younger need to hear that from you who are older. Who is the rock except our God? If you're a Christian tonight, God is your rock. Secondly, if you're a Christian tonight, God is your rescuer. You see that here, verses a, a, a five and following describe the predicament that David was in. He was in real brother. He describes it really vividly. The waves of death swirled around me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. David uh, had, death ha- had its hands on David, he's saying. And, and there could be all sorts of things, of course. We've, we've sort of looked at David's life. There could be all sorts of things that were in his mind as he was saying that. It might have been those times that Saul was so close to killing him. It might have been some of the encounters with the Philistines when he was doing that sort of double agent thing with the Philistines. It might have been the betrayal of Absalom. So many things that, that, where, where it could have gone differently and his life was over. But God had answered his cries. And, and as, as David talks about the tr- predicament that he was in and the fact that he called upon God, he describes God answering him in, in some really, really unique ways. He, 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 
there, there's all this stuff about, about smoke and lightning and, and, and God coming down and so on. These are images of how God was at Sinai. Remember that God comes on the mountain and there's lightning and there's thick darkness and so on. So, so there's Sinai and there's also uh, Egypt, uh, 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 the exodus coming out of Egypt. You see verse 16, the channels of the sea are open and so on. Now here's the thing, David was at neither of those events. They, they happened long before his, his lifetime, quite some time before he was born. But as he, he knows these stories, he knows exactly what God did then. And as he thinks of the way that God had answered his prayers, as he thinks of the miraculous interventions that he has seen in his own life, he sees that the God who stepped into his situation is the very same God who came down at Sinai and the very same God who opened up the sea at the Exodus. Now here's the thing for us. God is your rescuer. Do you realize that that when you cry to the Lord, if you go home tonight and you turn out the light, you, you pray before you go to sleep, or maybe you kneel at the side of your bed, the same God that you pray to is the God who came down at Sinai and the God who opened up the Red Sea. This is the one who hears you when you pray. This is the one who meets you when you open his word. This is the God who, who, who bows the heavens and, and, or bows the heavens and comes down with thick darkness under his feet. The God who sends out arrows and lightning and exposes the channel of the deep. Now, if you'd been there, if you'd seen that, wouldn't your prayers be a little bit different? Wouldn't you sort of ask with confidence? Wouldn't you, you live in awe of him and, and, and with with great trust because he, this God, is only a cry away. But, but David never sees those things, and yet he sees, this is the God who answers me when I cry to him. Now, how does this God answer David? Well, you, you might think, smoke, lightning, uh, clouds, tidal waves, might you be scared to call on a God like that? Sounds dangerous, doesn't he? Well, well, well David's not, and, and there are a couple of things here that indicate that. Look at this beautiful way in which when this God comes down, what does he do with him? He doesn't send somebody else to deal with him. You would imagine a God that's as powerful as that would have servants, uh, you know, even angels or something to do his bidding. Well, he does, but, but what does David say? Well, Verse 17, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Boy, great powerful God who comes down at Sinai, who opens the waters, he takes hold of his servant. Here's a God, you see, who deals with us directly and personally. He takes hold of his children. Oh, he, he used means in David's experience. We, we know that. There were others involved in the events of David's life and so on. But David's still in no doubt. He took hold of me. So whenever we think of this God who's so powerful and, and, and frightening in, so, in some ways, we've got to conclude as David sees him that we've nothing to fear from a God who takes hold of his children to rescue them. That's a God who's good. 
And then something else, verse 20. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. That's incredible, isn't it? David knows that this God who's so powerful doesn't just tolerate him. He delights in him. God delights in in David. God delights in his children. Now, you know, David knows that he has not led a perfect life. If this is at the end of his life, then he has a, a sober estimation of himself and his feelings. He's living through the consequences of his sin. But nevertheless, he knows that God delights in him. You know, this is what the gospel does. In as much as we do not believe this, we don't believe the gospel. God loves us. So many of us struggle to grasp this. To live in the light of this is one of discipleship's great challenges. God delights in you. Oh, he will not overlook your sin or mine. We've seen that with David, but he delights in you. You ever had this experience? You, you, you're sitting idly on the couch, flicking through your phone, and you, you, you go onto eBay or, or Amazon. And, and, or maybe you do it with the Argos catalog and you flick through the Argos and you think, oh boy, I really would like that. That's a really good deal. And you maybe read one or two descriptions. You think, That's, that, that gadget seems just fantastic. And, and two or three days later, the package arrives and you manage to not let your wife see it coming through the door. And, and you open it up and you think, oh, this is great. And, and then mm, it's not quite as it was described our house is so full of stuff like that. And, 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 and you miss, you, you put it aside and you think, Joe, I'm going to send that back. And, and then you don't. And, and then you're, you're outside your redeeming period and so on. And so you have to have it. And, and, and you, you use it perhaps now and again, but you think, oh, this isn't really what I was after. It's not as good as I thought it was going to be. So many Christians... It, in my experience, so many Christians think that God thinks of them a bit like that. Well, I've redeemed him now. I'm sort of stuck with him. If we think like that, we couldn't be more wrong. God delights in his children. This section that talks about that is describing David crying to God, prayer. You think about it. How would you pray if you knew both of these things? If you knew that that God was this powerful and he also delighted in you. You know, think of some of the reasons that you don't pray. Oh, I, I wouldn't ask God for that because I don't know that he could do anything about it. Well, come on. He's the God who comes down at Sinai. He's the God who opens the Red Sea. I, I wouldn't ask God for that because oh, I don't deserve it. He, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't give that to me. But he delights in you, you see. David is saying, I'm old now. I've learned this. God is great and he delights in me. We should learn that too. He's a rescuer. He, he's a rewarder. Now, this is strange. Um, 
I wonder, did it cause you to be a little bit uncomfortable as we read it earlier? After all, the likelihood is, as we've said, that David is saying this at the end of his life. So after everything with Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, all the consequences with Absalom, and yet look at some of the claims that he makes. Verse 21, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. Verse 24, I've been blameless before him. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. Now, how do we deal with that? Uh, Is David not open to a terrible charge of hypocrisy here? Well, there are a couple of things we can say, aren't there? First of all, we know, we've seen that David absolutely felt the weight of his sin and the depth of it. Psalm 51 shows us that. And so there's no way that David is saying here, that didn't happen or that was a little thing. It it seems that David is talking about a particular area of his life, his role as king, that, that, that he was being challenged perhaps about some of the things that he was doing as king and particularly the implementation of God's law as king. And and we know, we've got to say, that David was really wholehearted in that. He goes God's way. He leads the people in God's ways. Other kings who would come after him would lead the people away from God, but not David. He worked to bring God to the very center of the nation's life, and he worked to bring the nation to God. And there's something else we need to say. As we've said before, David is the one who points us to his greater son, Jesus. And David is perhaps able to write about this in a limited area in his life. Not that he was ever perfect, but the Bible describes describes blamelessness often as as a wholeheartedly going after God. Uh, David was able to write about this in a limited area of his life so that Jesus would be able to say this fully and perfectly about every area of his life. But, But let's not miss the point here. There is reward in going God's way. David's very clear about that. It doesn't mean that we won't be, uh, that we will be shielded from suffering and persecution and challenge. There were others who went God's way who knew that. Job knew that, for example. But isn't it true? Sometimes in guarding against the idea that we can earn our salvation, we, we so emphasize that our best efforts are like filthy rags and so on, that they don't change God's attitude towards us and all of those things. But that doesn't mean that as a child of God, you cannot please the Lord. The Bible says that to us. Find out what pleases the Lord. And we must know that in giving ourselves to God, there is great reward. And in going against him, there is disaster. James Montgomery Boyce says this, as a general principle, when we live for God and try to go his way, he cares for us and he blesses us. When we go our own way, we bring misery and destruction on ourselves. That is all David is saying. That's what he's saying. So David has got to the later stages of his life. He's learned this. He's learned, oh, what blessing there is in going God's way. What disaster there is in going against him. He's learned it. Have we? We need to learn it often, don't we? 
And then just in a word at the end, we're, we're sort of out of time. God is an equipper. Uh, there's so much we could say about these verses, but, but let's just highlight this, that David knows it is God who has enabled him to do the things that he has done. God has equipped him. And there are particular tasks that he is thinking of as he has subdued his enemies. So he acknowledges that God has enabled him to do that. For example, verse 35 and following. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. He, you give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles don't turn over. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely. They could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. Now, now we might find this odd. You know, sometimes we do this uh, this time tomorrow, and we sort of ask somebody, well, what will you be doing this time tomorrow? And then we say, and they say, well, I'm, I'm a teacher or I'm a nurse. And, and uh, well, if you're a teacher now, you've got these massive holidays, massive, massive holidays that stretch out in front of you. But other than that, it, 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 you say things like, well, uh, you know, I, I, I really do think that, that, that being a Christian helps me as I'm a teacher. I get, I'm, I'm maybe more patient with uh, those little kids in my class and so on. Or I'm a, I'm a nurse and I, I, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more able to, to care for those because of the presence of Jesus with me. Of course, we believe that. And here's David saying, this time tomorrow, what will you be doing? I'll be pursuing my enemies. God makes me a better soldier. Now, we find that a bit strange, don't we? He gave me victory. Seems odd to us because we live in peaceful times. I've been reading some stuff about the Second World War, about Spitfire pilots, great stories. And, and, and the challenges they faced and the fact that they were going up, they weren't knowing if they were going to come down again. And you can just imagine some of them saying, you know, today, God helped me in the battles that I was in. It's a luxury, perhaps, that we consider these things strange. But, but David is also describing a particular job he has as God's king. Subduing his enemies was what he was called to do. And you can imagine Jesus taking these words, can't you? And saying, I put all my enemies under my feet. But you see the basic point? God equips us to do what he calls us to do. He equips us to serve him. He, he calls us to particular tasks and roles in life and roles in his kingdom. And he equips us to witness for him, to love others, to serve others in his name. We're, we're going to be scattered out this week to do that in different places. Many of us are going to be doing that with Holiday Bible Club this week. And we shouldn't be surprised if we look back and we say, do you know what? God equipped me. God enabled me. So how do you understand your life? What meaning do you attribute to it? Well, here's a meaning to discover rather than to make up. If you're a believer tonight, God is immediately involved in every detail of it. He is your rock. He is your rescuer. He is your rewarder. He is your equipper. 
And if after taking 25 minutes to, to look at it tonight, you're a little bit more clear on that, that's great. And if we, we, we get towards the end of our life and, and we've had lots of years to look back over and, and see how these things were true for us also, you'll see it more sharply. And that's great. And when we're with him, we're, we're going to see it all. And we'll see the meaning of our lives. We'll see that nothing was wasted. We'll see that God was our rock and our rescuer and our rewarder and our equipper. I don't know if you know the, the old hymn by Murray McShane. He said this in his first verse, When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when we stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that as we read these ancient words of David thousands of years ago, and he discovered that the meaning of his life was that you were his rock and rescuer and rewarder and equipper. We want to thank you that those years just disappear and we see these same truths. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to believe them really, really clearly. We pray that you'll help us to go into this week living in the light of them. And we pray that as we come to our later years, we will look back and know that this is how we have lived, that we have poured ourselves into your ways and your paths because not till we get to glory will we know how much we owe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.